Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. Well, hello everyone. to be with you guys. We are at such a significant, critical time, as Pastor Joe said. Um, I want to start by just honoring John Stacy and their leadership of this church. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Just, you're going to clap in a sec. <laughs> you need to hear why you're going to honor them. Because uh, they've sacrificed a lot. And um, I've had, my wife and I had many conversations with them, just knowing how much they really love this uh, city, how much they love this nation, and uh, sometimes people ask me, oh, what church are you a part of, and I talk about John Stacy because I'm so, so pleased and thankful to the Lord for the authenticity, the integrity, and the maturity in their leadership, and this is a critical time as a church. I know some of you are visiting, but we're bringing you into the story right now, so I know they've been carrying a lot in this season. You might not know what it feels like to not know if we're going to be here next week or the week after. I'm like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? So there's a lot of pressure on that. So I wanted to just together, let's thank God and, you know, praise God for their obedience and their lives. And let's pray that God strengthens them. So right now you can give your round of applause to the Lord for them. <laughs> thank you, Joe and Stacy. We honor you, we appreciate you, and we're thankful to the Lord for your obedience. Um, today I'm going to be speaking from Matthew 16. Uh, it's a well-known verse, probably one of Jesus' most famous uh, declarations and quotes, uh, and many of you would have heard this many times. But before we read Matthew 16, I'll start from verse, uh, first, verse 13. Uh, before we read that, I just want to... Uh, you know, share something with you I, I've come across. Some of you might be aware of this. Some of you might not be aware of this. I mean, what's going on in the Middle East right now is huge. And, you know, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And um, it's, not, um, it's not uncommon to hear even on the med in the media, people talk about um, Iran sponsoring uh, Hamas. Anyone heard that before? Okay, so that's no news to anyone. Uh, so that's, that's out there in the public domain. And the reason why I'm saying that is what I'm about to read right now. Researchers have credited the underground church in Iran as the fastest growing Christian church in the world right now. Did you hear that? <laughs> the church in Iran right now is the fastest growing church in the world. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, we can praise God for that. That's incredible. The fastest growing church in the world um, has taken root in one of the most unexpected and radicalized nations on earth. The Iranian awakening is, a rapidly, reprodu is rapidly reproducing discipleship, a discipleship movement that owns no property or buildings, has no centralized leadership structures, and is predominantly led by women. Can the women give God a shout? <laughs> Did you hear that? They have no buildings. They have leadership, but not in the way we have our structures here in the West. And it's mostly led by women. And this is what they say. 
converts run away from persecution. But disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. So they don't go after converts. They go after disciples. They says, we don't convert to disciple. We disciple to convert. So when they interact with people, discipleship starts from the first interaction. They're not trying to get them to pray, pray, and then and disciple them. And then this last quote, it says, if you plant churches, you might make disciples. But if you make disciples, you will plant churches. <laughs> I love that. And uh, I've just been reflecting on where we are as a church. Right now, we're contending for a building. And I know God is going to give us a space. He's a faithful God. He's spoken in so many ways. We are going to have a space to meet. But I believe what God is doing is more than us just owning a building. Because there can be a lot of emphasis put on just gaining breakthrough in the physical structure. Why we as a church have not transitioned from where we were before the breakthrough comes. See, we think God is more about the destination. But I, I, I guess strong feeling God is more about the journey. There's no point God giving us the breakthrough if what he wanted to achieve through the journey of getting to the breakthrough, he doesn't achieve it. Because we are not fully aligned with him for him to work in us to mold us and to shape us. Because what I'm saying is, when we get the space that God is calling us to have, we will be a different church to the church that didn't have a space. And we will be a different church, not because we have the physical space, but because God has been working in each of us. So this message today is about helping us to see what the church is. The church is not a building. As many of you will know, God is working to build his church. And we quote that scripture a lot, but we want to just go a bit into what that really means. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do I, the son of man? Let me read that again. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Verse 14. Then they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. Everyone say the Christ. That's key for where we're going. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Um, it starts by saying Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi to make this declaration. Through the Gospels, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think there's any other time we read about Jesus going to this location. So it seems as though Jesus specifically made a long journey to a specific location because of a declaration that needed to be made. He had a revelation in his heart that he couldn't just 
have released anywhere. There was a location they wanted it released in. The place called Caesarea Philippi is named after a guy called Philip. And who, Philip was the son of uh, Herod the Great. And um, he named the city after himself because he built the city, he extended the city, he expanded the city. He did a lot of civil engineering that made the city look amazing. So he invested a lot in building that city. So this is a city that has had some kind of engineering works. We don't know when, we don't know maybe when Jesus went there, there was still some works going on at the time. Who knows? However, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus chose this location to make this declaration. Because the declaration that he was going to make was going to be based on a revelation that God was going to give one of his disciples. And I'm not sure even, even if he knew who that disciple was that was going to have that revelation. And the focus of this session is not so much to talk about the question Jesus asked the disciples. As it is to talk about the revelation Peter had when he spoke the words that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So verse 16, Peter answered and said... You are the Christ. Everyone say the Christ. So there are two things he said here. You are the Christ, one. And then two, you are the son of the living God. The reason why this revelation was so mind-blowing and why Jesus was so impressed by it, because the Christ gave, uh, the the father gave Peter a revelation of Jesus' eternal ministry. That wasn't just based on what he was doing on earth. Because Jesus was going to occupy a position in heaven, an administrative position called the Christ. It's a Christ. It's a Christus. It's a position where everything that is going to be done on earth as it pertains to God's agenda is going to be done through that office of the Christ. Let me give you an example. And you might, you might be aware of this. It says in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, that we have been blessed with Every spiritual blessing, where is the blessing? In the heavenly places. Now, it's interesting that God chose to not just release the blessings, but he locked them up in a certain location. So we have not been blessed with every spiritual blessing on earth. He's blessed with every spiritual blessing. So you're already blessed. However, the problem is the blessing is in a location. It's in the heavenly place. Now, in the heavenly places, there are all sorts of spirits in the heavenly places. According to Ephesians, we know that in the heavenly places, we have principalities and powers. But also in Ephesians, we know that Christ was raised to sit at the right hand of God, right? Where in heavenly places, far above. So the heavenly place Jesus is seated in is far above the principalities and the powers and the rulers and the dominion and the works of darkness. Are you tracking with me? Church, are you tracking with me? So Jesus is in the heavenly places, in the heavens of the heavens. So our blessings are locked up in the heavenly places, not where the demonic realm is, but in the heaven of heavens. However, it's not just in the heavenly places. And then further, locked it up in another safe. And that safe is in Christ. Are you with me? (laughs) So it's in the heavenly places and it's in Christ. So if we want to access that blessing, we have to log into the mind of Christ. The blessings are all there, but it's going to take a kind of activation, connectedness from earth to heaven for us to download that which 
has already been made available. It's been made available in Christ. Now, Christ sat at the right hand of God after the resurrection. And if you read um, uh, Revelation 5, you get an insight into the, the coronation where Christ was taking the scroll from the Lord, the slain lamb. Anyone knows what I'm talking about here? It says, who's worthy to open the scroll? What, what is in that scroll? God's eternal purposes and plan for all of mankind. And there's only one person in all of humanity, in all of the heavens, in all of the earth, under the earth, that could take that scroll. And the only thing that qualified him, well, one of the main things that qualified him to take that scroll is because he shed his blood. He's a slain lamb. He shed, so he's able to take that scroll and access the mind of God, the plans of God, but not just that administrated on the earth so the office of the christ is like an administrative office in the heavens from which the father releases his plans his purposes on the earth are you tracking with me church so when peter says you are the christ he was having a revelation of jesus's eternal position that's why it was such a huge deal And then he also had a revelation of Jesus' humanity. You are the son of the living God. The Christ was about his eternal uh, position and office. But then he also had a revelation of his humanity. You are the son of the living God. And then he goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So this revelation did not come from a human agent. Flesh and blood has not revealed. And I often like to point out that what that also means is there's a dimension of revelation that can come from flesh and blood. But Jesus saying, this revelation you just got, Peter, it didn't come from anything in this realm. The Father revealed it to you. Now, where we really need to go, where we're going to be going today is the declaration that Jesus made after this. In verse 18, it says, but I say to you, you are Peter. Now, that word Peter in the Greek is Petros, and it means small rock. Everyone say small rock. Small rock. So it says, you are Peter, and then it says, and on this rock, that word rock there is Petra. That is large rock. So let's read it with the Greek. It says, I say to you that you are Petros, small rock, and on this Petra, large rock, I will build my church. It was a play on words, really, and we kind of missed that revelation in here because the large rock is the revelation of the Christ. Are you tracking with me? And the Lord is declaring to Peter something that he is about to do. Up until this point, we don't have any reference or much insight about the church. This is the first time in the New Testament Jesus mentions the word church. So he's saying, Peter, you are a rock, but on a bigger rock, and we know that bigger rock is Christ, the cornerstone. In fact, I was reading this earlier. You see, I've often wondered, because I didn't really understand the whole concept of a cornerstone. You know, think of that as the large rock. 
A cornerstone was the principal stone used usually at the corner of, a, when a building is being built, it's used at the corner of the edifice to guide the, worker, the workers in their course. The cornerstone was usually one of the largest stones and the most carefully constructed in the whole structure. So the people building the structure use the cornerstone as a reference point for everything else they're building. So the reference point here is Jesus wants to do something on the earth. And for that thing to be done, there has to be a revelation of his eternal position as the Christ. And that internal position as the Christ is everything we need for life and godliness. It's everything we need to live out the Christian life, both natural and spiritual. It is locked up in blessings that are hidden in Christ. So if we're going to walk in those blessings, we have to have a revelation of the Christ. So it says, I will build, which gives us insight into something that's about to happen in the future. He didn't say, I am building. He said what? I will. I will. He could only build after he occupied that position in the heavens as the Christ. Because all the resources to build are coming from that administration. Are, are you tracking with me? The resources to build the church on the earth is coming from administration and he could only get into that administration after the resurrection. So he says, I will. It's future, future tense. And we know he started to build on the day of Pentecost. So something happened. Jesus was exalted, lifted up, seated at the right hand of God. And then the Holy Spirit was released on the earth. So in his declaration, he's making us understand that he owns the church. I will build. So I know every now and again you might hear a leader or a pastor or a prophet or an evangelist say, you know, this is my church. It's not your church. It is Jesus' church. I will build. He's declaring he owns it. And he's going to build it. So if he's going to build it, he has preferences. He has ideas on how he wants it built. Okay, let's make this practical. Now, if I had two million pounds and I wanted to build a house, I'm not necessarily going and start gathering the bricks and building the house. I wouldn't necessarily go and gather the bricks and start building the house and constructing it myself. The two million pounds I have to build the house is the fact that I have, it, it, it points to the resource available to achieve what is already in my heart. Are you with me? The two million pounds is a picture of the Christ office the office of the Christ from that office of the Christ all the resources necessary to build are available however imagine I have two million pounds and I hired someone to build the house I'm gonna have to communicate to them my preferences on what I want building I want the kitchen over here I want the living room here on this floor I want like uh, maybe a cinema home cinema on the, I want to, are you with me? I want a walk-in wardrobe. Anyone? <laughs> My wife says, I'm prophesying right now. <laughs> I want a walk-in wardrobe. I want this. I want an underground car park. I want. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling the architect or whoever it is what I want for the structure. And I've got the resources to sponsor that structure. 
So the architect is submitted to my authority because I'm going to sponsor that structure, right? So let's say the building is built. Now, you know, you know, whoever is in charge of the project maybe hires all these sort of people, you know, to do all the actual hands-on work. When the building is built, I didn't physically build it, but I built it. I didn't use my hands to build it, but I built the house because it was in my heart. I had the vision. So when Jesus says, I will build, he has a vision of what he wants to build. And in the office of the Christ, he has resources in there to sponsor what he wants to build. And part of that resource is he gave gifts to men, apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, to work. To, what's, what's the scripture of Ephesians? Don't remind me. How does it go? For, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And if, if you even break that down some more, it's interesting what Jesus did in that verse about him, where he says, I'll build my church. Because he talks about Peter being a rock. He talks about him being uh, the cornerstone, the bigger rock on this revelation. And when he talks about building, in our context, we think about building with bricks. But the building he's going to build, he's going to build with, with living stones. He's building with you and me. So when he said he's going to build, he's looking at people. He's not looking at structures. It also interests me that Jesus says, I will build my church. And he didn't say, I will build my congregation. He, he, he didn't say, I will build my synagogue. Because for the people he was speaking to, when you say church, most of us think, oh, we just gather, oh, this is church. Oh, we go to church building, we have this gathering. So we think of church as a gathering. But Jesus did not think of church in that way when he was communicating church. And based on the law of first mentions, the first time something is mentioned in scripture, you have to study to understand the intent of God about that thing all through scripture. The word he used when he says, I will build my church, that word church is ecclesia. It's not just people that gather to sing and have a nice time. It's a governing body that influences a territory. So if Rome were to conquer Manchester, Rome conquers Manchester and then sends the ecclesia from Rome to Manchester and they influence all the sectors of Manchester, the society, and their goal is to make Manchester look like Rome. So the people sent to a territory that has been conquered to infiltrate and influence that territory to make it look like where they're coming from. That group is a governing body and they're called the Ecclesia. So we are supposed to be a governing body in the spirit influencing this territory. But you know, one of the problems we have in the church today is some of the leaders that God is raising up or God has been investing in and God has been releasing resources from his administration. They're, re they're receiving the resources, but not building what he wants. They're receiving resources and using it how they want. Now, if Jesus is the one building, we can know he's the one building because when we examine the structure that has been built we will see 
his signature will be, in, will be in it. His DNA will be in what's already built. So we, we can know if a structure or if a church, as in the ecclesia, body, people calling themselves church, we can know if that church is connected to the administration of heaven by examining to see if it has the DNA of the builder. The problem we have, or one of the problems we have in the 21st century church, we think because numbers are gathering in a location and the word church is over it, that means the church is growing. Numbers can be gathering and the church is dwindling. Numbers could be gathering and the church is not growing. See, in the 21st century, we're often obsessed with growth. Not all growth is good. Cancer is a growth. So we can gather preachers around us that speak to the idols of our hearts. And if I start preaching the idols of your heart or the idols of the culture and crowds start gathering and I put church over it, it doesn't mean Jesus is building that. that Are you with me? Beyonce could fill a stadium, right? Is the church being built? The fact that numbers are gathering does not mean he is doing any building. So how do we know if he's building Ram Church? We have to look at the people in Ram Church to see if they're carrying his signature. Because what he's building has his emphasis on it. And this is why I love this church. Because you don't have to be here for long to know that one of the things that we hold dear to our hearts as a church is the main thing Jesus declared about the sort of house he's building. What did Jesus say? My house will be called. What? Okay. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. I love worship. I love prophecy. I love preaching. He didn't say my house will be called a house of preaching. He didn't say my house will be called a house of prophecy. He didn't say my house will be called a house of worship. Not that those things don't happen in his house. But what is going to mark the house he's building what is going to be clear to everyone watching about what he is doing, that it is him doing it, is the fact that you cannot mistake the fact that there is a DNA of prayer in what he is building. Now listen, before you clap, let's qualify what kind of prayer he's talking about. Because he didn't say my house because of a house of prayer, full stop, end of sentence. My house because a house of prayer for all nations. See, I'm African and, you know, I've got African background. And there's also a prayer. I was just in Ghana recently. And I said to the Ghanaians, I said, there's so much prayer happening here. You guys love to pray. But you know what I've noticed? A lot of the prayers that we're praying are often massaging our flesh. And wanting to feed our idolatries. So we're praying, but we're praying our idols. Lord, give me my husband right now or I die. <laughs> Lord, give me my house right now. Oh, Lord, you know, my body clock is ticking and it's not happening. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'll 
Are you with me? We go on a three-day fast because we want the breakthrough. And this is not even just the African church. It's happening right here too. It's not just an African thing. But I was in Ghana and I was saying to them, a lot of prayer is happening. But let's, let's try to break now. What sort of prayer is this? It's not that he doesn't want to meet your need. But he said, seek first his kingdom. And the house he's building, the DNA of the sort of prayer going on there is intercessory in nature for the nations. So one of the lead must, this is a scary thing. One of the ways we can test if Jesus is building a church in a region is to examine the lifestyles of the people in that church, end quote. Are they carrying his emphasis? Okay, let's look at all the messages that have been preached for the last six months. Does it carry any of the emphasis of the one who is sponsoring the building? Or, see, I have two million pounds. I gave it to someone to construct a building. And as they start building it, they decided, you know what? James wanted the kitchen to go here. But you know what? Forget about that. I'm going to put the garage right there. James wanted to, and on the ground car park to go, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to put like some storage over here. James wanted a cinema over here. Forget it. I'm going to put a toilet over here. So they are using my resources to achieve their own agenda. Are you hearing me? Many churches, and I'm not saying this as a pointing finger at all the churches in the region. It's actually, it's, it, it's, a, it's a word that's concerning. Because it's like, it, it's a dangerous thing to take the resources of heaven and use it to build my own empire. God is not building it. I am using his resources to do things the way I want it. Not the way he wants it. And one of the ways we know what you're building is aligned with his agenda is, let's look at the DNA of it. Does it carry his DNA of intercessory prayer? Because today we can do church without the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know that. We've got the, the early church had less. They did more. The 21st century church has more, yet we have less impact. Could it be because we're focusing on the wrong things, the externals? It's not wrong to have lights and sound and all this, but we've invested all our energy in all these external things and our hearts are disconnected from the emphasis of the one sponsoring the building. We want to look good before man. However, he wants to do a work in us. The thing is, Jesus, he, the Holy Ghost, they work from the inside out. We want to work from the outside. We want to look good on the outside while we're rotten on the inside. So Jesus is not so much concerned about the Ram Church just owning a physical building. If it's full of people with rottenness on the inside of them. He wants to work on the idols of our hearts so that when he gives us that building, in fact, it's no flesh glories in his presence. And the church is actually, the process of contending is maturing this church. So we're not just growing in, in quantity, we're growing in quality. So, you know, anyone can come at random and, and I can pick anyone at random that's part of the living stones here. Pick anyone at random and say, let's have a prayer time. And we're going to have a powerful prayer time because they have been built up according to the emphasis of the one sponsoring the building. They've caught his emphasis, his DNA. They're not just spectators. They're not just bench warmers. They've captured the heart of what the creator, what the one who sponsored, the one who died for this. They've captured his emphasis. You know, it's really scary that, you know, what's it, uh, uh, Hebrews, somewhere in the, towards the end of Hebrews, it says, we have come to Mount Zion. You know that scripture? 
to the innumerable uh, company of angels. And it says a few things. And then it says, to the church of the firstborn, registered in heaven. The church of the firstborn, registered in heaven. You mean heaven has a registry of churches? Could it be that a church exists on earth that's not in heaven's registry book? Yes. It is possible to have a structure that looks nice and people are filling it, but it, it's not in heaven's registry book. Because what qualifies it to be in heaven's registry book is that the people there are aligned with the emphasis of heaven, the emphasis of the one who died for the church. The fact that your business is growing, the fact that your church has more people coming to it, does not always mean God is the one sponsoring the growth. In fact, if the church is growing numerically and we examine the culture of that church and we can't find the emphasis of Jesus' heart, then something else is responsible for that growth and not the Holy Ghost. Because the way he's going to grow this church is his way. And when he grows this church his way, we're going to see his signature on it. Church, what is the point of us getting a physical building while we the people who are the church are still the same people and have not changed from the people who were coming six months ago and a year ago? Getting the building is not going to change us. As in, on the inside. What's going to change us is our submission to the work of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. And that would make us, when we eventually get the building, that would make the work of God in that building carry more impact in the territory. Because Jesus is not just concerned about the physical structure. He's concerned about the people. We are the structure he's building. We are the church that he's building. So he says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. Let's say that in the reverse. The gates of Hades will prevail against the church that he's not building. When the enemy is having the upper hand in a church, we need to re-examine, are we still submitted to the master plan? Or are we deviated into something else? Because the church that he is building, the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You know why the church cannot prevail against it? Because that church is carrying his DNA and it's a house of prayer. Now, let me just clarify. I don't necessarily mean that every single service and everything we do, you know, is always going to be like a prayer meeting instead of the Sunday morning preach and all that. And it's just prayer, prayer, prayer all the time. I do believe in prayer all the time. And I'm not saying that the church becomes a house of prayer in the way some, of, some people might think of a house of prayer. What I'm saying is the lifestyle emphasis of the people in the church are going to carry the spirit of prayer. So Pastor Joe doesn't teach on prayer all the time. 
you know, Pastor Stacy doesn't teach and pray all the time. But because they are living that life, when they teach on whatever they teach on, you come in, in here, catch the spirit that has been taught out of. And you go away carrying that spirit of grace, that spirit of supplication, because that is what's been dispensed from the platform. You know, when you preach or when you teach or when you listen to anyone preach, there's a lot more going on than the words they're saying. There's spiritual transaction going on. So if I am living this, when I speak it, it impacts your heart by the Holy Ghost because you can only receive from the reality I'm currently living in. It's not just theology, it's a reality. So the Lord is wanting the church to not just have an idea of something up there. We're blessed with all these spiritual blessings. We, we have all these amazing opportunities and potential, but our lives on earth do not reflect anything of that sort. He's, he wants us to align with his emphasis. And I believe that in these last days, Jesus is coming for an inspection. Did you hear me? Jesus is coming for an inspection of his church. To see if the resources that he's given have been used rightly to build in the way he intended for the structure to be. And when he comes and he sees that what is being built is not in alignment with his structure, there will be a day of reckoning for us leaders. There will be a day of reckoning for the church. This is the time for us to align ourselves with the emphasis of heaven. So I wrap up by saying this. I know the Lord is going to give us a building. I know the Lord is going to expand Ram Church. In fact, when I was praying, I believe the Lord is going to cause this church to grow way beyond anything John Stacy actually thought about in numbers. But I feel like the Lord is wanting us to not focus on the external growth. Not that it's wrong. He's wanting to do something deeper in us in this season as we are in a position of discomfort. Believing for something to happen. Let's just say the day comes when we don't have a structure. I believe God's going to give us a building. But let's just say we end up not having a building. Does Ram Church cease to exist? The church in Iran have no building. And they're stronger disciples than us in the West with all our pounds and buildings and sound. They don't have all the tech we have. And some of the testimonies are just mind-boggling of their walk with God. So if that church is growing without a building, and God wants this church to grow, a building is not going to make us grow. It's him doing something more in each of us in this place. And when he begins to do that, one of the ways we're going to see that he's doing that is each of us begin to take, we begin to take ownership. We're going to take responsibility. We begin to be grafted into the structure that he's building. This stops becoming Joe and Stacey's thing. It becomes, we are part of what God's doing. You don't just come here and sit down and come for a nice service and hear a nice preach and go back home. You realize you're part of what God's doing. And so you give your life into what you feel God is doing in this, in this company, in this group. It's not just about the leaders. It's about each one of us. What is the Lord building in you?
are you still the same person you've been all these years and maybe you've been coming to Ram Church for a few months? Is there much that's changed in you? Are you going to be a Christian that just comes here to receive the word and then go back home and you don't change, just, you just get on with the rest of your life? Or are you going to be a Christian that looks to give yourself in every way that the Lord is calling you to so that what he's building, you're a part of it. You're part of that structure. He's able to use you as that stone. He's able to chisel, shape, make, mold you into what he's wanting to build in these last days. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In Manchester, I believe the Lord is doing something unique. I believe the Lord is doing something special. Can I have the band come up, please? Oh, yeah, that's great. Just close your eyes right now. I will build my church. He's doing something special in Ram Church. You know, when I think of church and, and that word there, I'm not even just thinking of the ramp church. I believe it's, it's a wider word for the region. The Lord is building something in this region. And we, in our expression as a congregation, we're a part of what he's wanting to do. But I, I wanted to just check your heart right now. Is the Lord truly building you? All the messages that come from this platform, all the words that have been released, is, is that really changing anything in your life, in your walk with God? Are your priorities shifting, changing? You've been coming here for six months. Is there, is there been any shift in your priority, in your walk with God? Or is this a religious routine? Because if it's a religious routine, then you're not changing. And that means nothing is really being built because you are remaining the same. You're not meant to remain the same. You're meant to be changing into his image. And one of the ways we know that is how you spend your time how you submit to his word. Father, we ask that you will truly build your church. This is not just words we want to speak and forget about, but Lord, we're asking that that which you died for on the cross, that which you paid a price for, that that will begin to find expression more and more here around church. This journey we've been on for a while, I know you've allowed it. Father, let this not come to a waste because we don't submit fully to the process. Father, we ask that you would build in us your emphasis in this hour, Lord. We want to capture your burden. We want to capture your gaze. We want to capture your heart, Lord.